Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Great day today, and I must start with a special shout out to Yoshiko Dart. Yoshiko, I know you're talking, sending me greetings back, and it was so wonderful to see you at the AAPD Gala. Thank you so much for your great leadership. And, okay, I don't know, don't know what to tell you, Ireland once again. Of the 17 countries that listen to this show, Ireland continues to pave the way as the greatest listening audience. And followed by Germany, followed by the UK. So, you know what? We got to just keep this going. We've got to keep this going. Ireland and all, really, all the countries that listen, I appreciate your support. And I just say, go out there and get more people to listen. I want to thank our sponsor, Hi Mark, who is the lead sponsor of this radio show and has been for three years. They are absolutely a great company. And we also have our silver sponsor, which is AudioEye, that is a great software product used in digital accessibility. And you know what? Really a great company. Great company, great people. Um, I love them. So make sure you check out AudioEye.com, HiMark.com. That's the HiMark for other companies to follow. So I love when we have young people. Yoshiko, you're going to love this show because I know you love young disability rights advocates. And today we have Sarah Blahovic, who is the disability rights organizer for the National Council on Independent Living and, most importantly, Originally from Greensburg, PA, we have to make sure Pittsburgh, we got to keep that in there. But I just saw her receive this award at the American Association of People with Disabilities Gala in Washington, D.C., where I am so proud to serve as Vice Chair Ted Kennedy Jr. as Chair and got to hear this wonderful young woman speak. But now I'm going to let her speak to all of you, Sarah. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So, Sarah, how tell our listeners, how did you first become involved in the disability community? Um, so, I, um, so, at the start, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease at age 15. Um, and if people know about the Crohn's disease community, it's very medicalized. So, for several years... I um, actually did not even know about the disability advocacy community. Um, I went through college getting disability accommodations but still did not identify as a person with a disability because I did not have knowledge on what that meant. Um, so I went to, I, after moving down from Pennsylvania, I moved to Washington, D.C. to go to college at American University. Um, and I spent three years there studying for an international studies degree. Um, 
And I ended up after that in an admin job, just trying to pay the bills after college, and was trying to figure out some way that I could be involved in foreign policy. Um, unfortunately, foreign policy tends to be a very, um, it, it's not a very disability-inclusive field. You can't really serve in things like the Peace Corps or the Foreign Service if you have any sort of health problem. And I believe they include under that a lot of disabilities, um, even if they're not necessarily medical, which mine is. Uh, so I spent a lot of time while I was at work and just trying to pay the bills, trying to look for mentors in the disability community, uh, just around trying to find jobs after college. And I started with looking at policy, but just went into looking at any area of, of trying to find just a coach on or, or a mentor on uh, finding a job. And so through that, I ended up writing for the Huffington Post um, and spent a few years doing that, um, starting with a, a letter that I had written to one job coach and that, that got published there. And I was really frustrated because at the Huffington Post, they did not have a, they, they have a lot of things, at least at that time, called the, the voices section. So they had a women's voices, black voices, uh, queer voices as they should. They did not have a disability voices. And I was really frustrated because our information was being put under health or even worse, weird news. Um, which, and, and there was also the good news page as well, which was basically an inspiration porn mill. Um, so it was really frustrating to me because there there was no place for, for people with disabilities to go and find out information on other people with disabilities who, who wrote very uh, significantly on Huffington Post. There were a lot of bloggers with disabilities at that time. So I started petitioning Ariana Huffington for a, uh, a page on there, a disability voices page. And I got, I got somewhere with that petition. Um, so they, they decided to make something called Huffington Post Accessibility. Uh, it was frustrating because that is not what that page should have been about. Um, they were just afraid of the word disability, unfortunately. Um, but I was, while I was there, I was the, uh, basically volunteer editor for that page and recruiting different bloggers with disabilities. And through that, I started to really get to know, you know, who's out there, um, what all these organizations in the disability community do, uh, meeting different people in the D.C. advocacy community, and starting to really find my place. Um, and that, you know, I, that led to trying to figure out other problems that I identified in the disability community. So for, for me, I've always been very politically active. Uh, and one of the problems I found was that a lot of research centers uh, at that time did not have any sort of label for their disability, uh, you know, information, their research studies, things like that. Um, so that, that's another issue I started to really mobilize on as well. And that got me more towards where I am now with, with voting rights and, and political activism. You know, I can't believe that story you told about um, the Huffington Post, you know, about there not being that segment for people with yeah. disabilities. Unbelievable. That always yeah, amazes yeah. me, and it happens in so many different venues in the media. Uh, but I'm glad that you took a stand there, Sarah. Uh, that's great. So you moved to D.C., which is a big move, and joined Nickel. Why? Why did you do that? So one of my petitions at that time was to the Pew Research Center, which did not have a call on disability 
um, anything, really. They had 210 tags on their research, including usually several for other, other demographics, but nothing on disability. So I started to write um, a petition, which was kind of my, my MO for activism at the time, was online petitions, um, to, to, their, to their people about, you know, we need to be able to find our information and find research studies on the disability community. Um, and I, I got a response from them. It was a response of, we don't bow to public pressure and we're not going to add that. Um, it was really frustrating. So at the time, I sent that petition to several advocacy organizations, and I sent it to Nickel among them. And I ended up, about a month later, getting a call from Jim Dixon. Uh, Jim is the uh, one of the co-chairs of the Voting Rights Subcommittee at Nickel. And he, he had been, it turns out, trying to pressure Pew Research Center as well on, on doing studies around disability and voting. So we teamed up, and uh, I joined the committee. I joined Nicole. And right now, we're going to take a break so that we can hear more from Sarah Blahovic. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. Bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Bender services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high-test line of service. For more information, please visit www.benderconsult.com. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. If you have a question or comment, call in toll free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back to the show. We are talking to Paul Hearn, award winner and disability rights vote organizer, Sarah Blahovic, who works for the National Council on Independent Living. And we were talking about the move to D.C. Um, just going back for a moment, what would you say were the main reasons you joined Nickel, and what is your role right now, Sarah? Yeah, so I joined Nickel because I was very passionate about um, voting rights and uh, political activism of people with disabilities, and I uh, found that I really aligned with the work there. Um, and actually, in the summertime of 2016, they had a job position come up for the disability vote organizer, and I actually took a leap. Uh, a few months before that, I decided to quit my job in working in, in administrative work um, because I wanted to make the, the full leap into disability rights um, advocacy. So 
I took that summer off and really drove into the work of the, the voting rights subcommittee, um, writing testimony for executive director Kelly Buckland, um, working on some nickel conference, um, you know, proposals and, and presentations. And lo and behold, I ended up getting that job and started in September 2016, right before uh, the, the 2016 election. So I was, I was really excited to be there because nickel has a great track record of working on uh, the voting rights of people with disabilities. They were instrumental in passing the Help America Vote Act. Um, and so it was just a really great place to be working on these issues. Yeah. And what, what have you done? What, what have been the main things you've done in this role? Okay, so well, there's, my my role has been um, for the at the beginning it was significantly involved in in voting rights. So we have five goals of the subcommittee that span uh, well, they now span uh, all of civic engagement, but they originally span voting. So um, increasing voter registration, excuse me, um, and and turnout, and then trying to advocate for accessible elections and working with election offices to to make their information more accessible. So um, my work at first was literally working on the the local level with advocates to try to get them to make their uh, election information uh, more accessible. So things like uh, making sample ballots more accessible because usually those are are put in formats that don't work with assistive technology. Um, And we would go literally, I would go county to county to try to find advocates, usually people at Centers for Independent Living, um, and to approach their election officials. We, uh, within the first year or maybe year and a half, we had approached well over 100, um, some of whom made these changes, uh, some of whom were, were very resistant. Um, you get the, the usual response to uh, disability advocacy that just kind of runs the gamut of, of, of interest to completely ignoring us. Um, so after um, the 20 uh, in 2017, we decided to add the broad goal of how do we get people with disabilities to run for elected office? Because you know voting is really important. We have a lot to do in that area, but we have so many leaders in this community, and um, you know they they are. Uh, naturally prime for leadership as people with disabilities who've grown up in a world that, that doesn't necessarily fit them. So how do we get them into office to be making change on the inside as well as the outside? Um, and that just started with a lot of research, um, a lot of looking into other programs that help to train people um, who are, you know, from different political parties, different backgrounds, women, people of color on, on how to, to run for office. Um, and I just really decided that was that was one of the things we needed to do. Um, another one was, and, I, and I'll get back to that in a second because that that took a significantly larger amount of resources than um, you know the that we had at the time. Um, but another one was the fact that the campaign environment itself is very inaccessible. It's a very um, non-disabled world. So we created the first ever guide to access and inclusion for political campaigns. Um, that, that guide uh, talked about everything from how to uh, talk about people with disabilities to making your events and information accessible. Um, 
and to, you know, how to reach out to your community and find people with disabilities who, um, you know, you can connect to, to to learn more about their interests as voters. And that was used pretty widely in 2018. Um, we had campaigns as large as uh, Beto O'Rourke's in Texas was using that guide. Um, a lot of local campaigns were using it. Uh, organizations like Emily's List use it to, to make their, their programs more accessible. Um, and so that was really exciting because one of the big challenges is just the, the environment around running for office and making it friendlier to people with disabilities and, and the accommodi- accommodations we may need, as well as the issues that we care about. Um, so beyond that, though, as much as I, you know, it's really important to be involved in these other programs, but we need a program for ourselves as well, um, a program that is tailored to the needs of the disability community and the fact that we not only have attitudinal barriers like other groups, um, you know, you know, women face sexism, people of color face racism, we face ableism uh, whenever it comes to our capacities to serve an elective office, but also the fact that, you know, you're going to have access barriers whenever you're running a campaign. Um, so I wanted to fund the first um, and create the first uh, run for office training program for the disability community. Um, and actually through the HERN Award, uh, we are we're finally going to make that happen um, through a webinar series that will train people with disabilities to run for office. Wow. That's so exciting. You are yeah. involved in so many great things, and that is why you deserve to be a Paul Hearn Award winner. Sarah, I am so proud of you. I love young disability rights leaders like you, so intelligent, so bright, so passionate. So you deserve this award, but tell our listeners, what did it mean to you to be selected as the prestigious Hearn Award winner? Um, it, it meant really everything because, as I said, for, for two years now, we've been trying to make this program happen, and a lot of the funding uh, world, whenever it comes to trying to find money to create these programs, uh, we received everything from that wasn't in their wheelhouse to we don't believe you can do it, um, and not just me as an individual person, but as a community. I've been told, oh, you know, just, just work with other programs. Uh, you don't need to, to reinvent the wheel, which is true, we don't, but we do need a program that addresses our interests. Um, you know, we, we were told, oh, well, you know, you just don't have the experience to be able to run this. Uh, they, they gave us suggestions on programs that basically would remove the, the disability element from, from it, where we would work just on trying to make campaigns, uh, candidates understand campaign accessibility, so not focusing on candidates with disabilities at, at all. Um, and it was it was really frustrating because it just felt like, you know, I I, I understand that this is a kind of pilot program that, that hasn't necessarily been tested out before, um, but that doesn't mean that, you know, it should never happen. It's kind of like the, the conundrum you get where right after you get into the working environment, you're told uh, to get an entry-level job, but those entry-level jobs require, you know, two years of experience. Um, it was really frustrating to try to find someone who uh, could understand that we, we have a vision and we've done a lot of research on making this happen, um, and, you know, all we needed was... Was, was the funding. We have the know-how, we have the people to do it, um, and we have now the funding thanks to the Hearn Award. So, 
you know, really for this, for us, this means that we're eliminating that, that excuse of you haven't done this and we're actually going to make it happen now. So it's, it's amazing because this is going to be funding an unprecedented program. Um, and hopefully we can, you know, this is just the start of it. Um, I definitely see this as a learning experience as well. I know there's going to be things that we can, um, we can see happen during this and figure out how to make our programs better in the future. Um, and so this is just really, um, it, it, I'm so grateful for, for the opportunity to um, be able to make this happen. And, of course, you can make this known to everyone because now what a great role model you are. And was that not an unbelievable night at that gala? Yeah, it was, it was wonderful. I've been to the AAPD gala before. Um, you know, I've, I'm friends with many of the past Turn Award winners. Um, and, you know, it's really a transformative thing for us to be able to be there among a lot of, of leaders in this community and just in, in D.C. Uh, to, to make our work heard. Um, I would say a lot of the leaders over the past several years that have won the Hearn Award are, are obviously younger because it's for the emerging leaders and, and intersectional. So it is a way uh, or, or making intersectional programs, which is my hope. Um, it's a way for us to, to get out there with um, things that are hopefully cutting edge and um, new to this community and, and kind of shake things up as well uh, and, and make that work really known. So it's just such a wonderful opportunity and, and a really uh, lovely program as well. Yeah, that, that is awesome. It really is. And I believe you will do that. Um, so what are you going to do? Tell me everything you're going to do in the community with this award to gain more visibility. Yeah. Um, so right now I am working on um, putting together the webinars that will hopefully be in late spring, early summer. In fact, actually, it's been going so well on putting it together that this week I'm trying to raise about you know, two grand more so we can, we can maybe, uh, expand it just a little bit from four to six webinars, um, because we have so many amazing trainers. I am working with, um, an organ, well, a consulting firm called Newview Consulting. Um, they are a disability owned, minority owned consulting, political consulting firm. Um, and the, uh, main person I'm working with there is Neil Carter, who is, um, an expert in the campaign world, um, and also in the disability world. Um, and he also understands, you know, whenever I submitted for the Hearn Award, I wanted to make sure that we were um, going not from the just looking at it at a disability angle, but making sure this program is inclusive in multiple ways. So that means making it um, inclusive of people of color, women, the LGBT community, uh, making sure that we're going from addressing their needs as well. Um, so we have been working on putting together um, some trainers that we're going and and some um, you know what we're going to talk with the trainers about um, to make sure that these webinars are disability inclusive, but also just inclusive of the skills that every first-time candidate needs to know. So um, soon, hopefully, I will be putting up uh, registration to be opening um, in the next few weeks. Uh, but the the trainings are probably going to be the, is starting in the end of May. Um, they will be weekly, uh, about an hour and a half long. Um, 
and they will also they will be accessible with cart captioning, and they will also be put up online afterwards as well. Uh, so the, the, these are targeted towards um, local candidates and first time candidates. So really trying to build this from the ground up, um, trying to reach the people who you know want to run for school board or city council or, or local level positions, but don't really know where to start, um, and addressing four core areas of campaigns. Um, um, operations, field operations, communications, and most importantly, fundraising. Um, I've talked to many candidates with disabilities over the past two years, and I would say that the f- biggest concern uh, is not usually something related to disability. It's actually related to fundraising. Uh, I think whenever it comes to our community, there's a level of self-sufficiency that we have a, a big um, big pride in, especially in the independent living movement, uh, where we you know, are, are very self-sufficient. We don't necessarily want to ask people for help, and we don't want to do that uh, very vocally sometimes. Uh, I don't want to speak for everyone, but whenever it comes to fundraising, you have to go out there and literally ask people for money. And that can be kind of harrowing uh, whenever you don't know how to do it. Um, and especially, you know, it kind of intimidating because it can be um, uncomfortable and it can be uncomfortable to be told no as well. So I especially want to focus on aspects around fundraising um, and, and give our community a solid basis for, for, for knowing how to do that. Um, and this is all going to be interspersed with um, information about running for office with a disability. So talking about the accommodations and, you know, the access barriers that, that people may experience and how other candidates have navigated um, those, those challenges. Um, and talking about how to balance your disability identity with your campaign. Um, we, obviously, we don't want to be um, pigeonholed as that disabled candidate, uh, but we don't want to be completely silent about it either. There's a, there's a delicate balance there of how do you authentically have a message, message as a candidate with a disability without it either overpowering your campaign or just kind of erasing it from your campaign. Um, so as I said, um, there's going to be at least four webinars. Uh, fingers crossed that I can expand it to six uh, because, again, we have so many um, amazing trainers that we're, we're looking to work with on this. Um, and then, um, you know, I think a very important part of this as well is evaluating um, who is is involved with this in terms of the participants. And so I'm very, um, I'm, I'm looking to create a survey for the participants as well so we can get an idea of, you know, are people in this because they're interested in running um, in, in the future but don't have any plans to yet? Are there people who are actually, you know, going to file in the next election? Um, what levels of office are they looking at? What's their demographic makeup? So we can get an idea of, of who we're actually working with here um, and, and make sure to um, use that information to, to get it out to um, other organizations that train candidates for for running for office, making sure that we're connecting these candidates with any other uh, educational resources they may need, um, and, and just evaluating how effective our program is, because for me, I'm really hoping that this is just the first of 
um, you know, many programs in the future, whether it be more webinar series, as I would really like to do, but also um, in-person programs, boot camps like many other organizations have where we are physically in a room with, with people for one or two days and, and tre- teaching them the skills they need to run for office in person. So this is really just the jumping off point, I hope, for, for a larger program, but it's really critical because it's going to be um, a learning experience for us as well about the, the efficacy of these programs and how we can uh, make them even better in the future. Wow. That is so awesome, Sarah. Awesome. Thank you. Well, it is time for our news break on the half hour, Advocacy Matters, where we keep you up to date on what is going on in the disability community. Welcome to the show, Perry Jude Radisic. Hey, Joyce. It's uh, good to be here, and congratulations to Sarah uh, for her great work uh, and, to, and to the American Association uh, of People with Disabilities for recognizing that. Thank you. Yeah, it's Thank great you. to have young disability rights leaders uh, because then they become great disability rights leaders like you, Perry. Well. Well, thank you, Joyce. Uh, so it's it's funny. The the show uh, is on the importance of self advocates in advocacy today, and uh, Congress is in recess, the House and Senate. So no hearings, no movement of any bills, and uh, in taking a look at the the different types of topics we could talk about on advocacy matters, uh, one of the most important topics is. Uh, self-advocates, uh, and self-advocates have become much more prominent uh, uh, in in the mainstream of advocacy, and uh, and that has taken many many years, uh, and has happened not just overnight, but really um, uh, there's a, there always has been a conscious decision among many organizations. Uh, and many self-advocates uh, to, to, to make that happen. And uh, when we say self-advocate, I think, we're, I think people define that in many different ways. Some people like that term, some people don't like that term. But I think we're referring to disabled people who have made a conscious decision to censor their own voice in decisions about their health care. Uh, and their role in the community. And it's a direct response to policies that are often made for disabled people without including us at the table where these decisions are made. So we look at it uh, in the PNA network broadly, the Protection and Advocacy Network broadly. And self-advocates often are at the forefront of policies and laws that affect their own lives and therefore should always be centered uh, at the forefront when changes are being made in regards to policies and regulations and laws that affect our lives. And and I think we see now that self-advocates have really found their voice on social media and are able to collaborate with each other and with other disabled people with the same experiences. And I think uh, the public and the nation have taken notice of, of that switch, it, it, given uh, the voices that are on social media now. 
there are many organizations that support self-advocates, and if and if your listeners aren't hooked into those organizations, they really need to be there, and they need to be in in the social media movement around disability rights so that they can read and participate and be a voice among other voices. So organizations like ours at Disability Rights Pennsylvania, the American Association of Persons with Disabilities, the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network, Self-Advocates Becoming Empowered, Centers for Independent Living, and ADAPT are just a few that all center on the needs and wants of disabled people and listen to disabled voices advocating for themselves. We at Disability Rights Pennsylvania and in other protection and advocacy agencies across the country hire self-advocates. Here in Disability Rights Pennsylvania, Jean Searle has worked at Disability Rights Pennsylvania for 25 years. And several other organizations have worked with her and used her experience to assert her autonomy and allow legislators and policymakers to empathize with her needs and others like her. And if you don't know Jean's story, you will soon. We'll be starting Jean's journal and following Jean. Jean had been institutionalized, had worked in a sheltered setting, and it now has an apartment on her own and, again, has worked at Disability Rights Pennsylvania for 25 years. And we do consider her an advocate and is doing some voting rights work for us this year. So, Joyce, I guess I would just encourage all disabled people to really make sure they center their own voice in their own care, in their own policy work, and call on other organizations in the community to make sure that disabled people are at the table and being heard during decision-making processes. So thank you, Joyce, for having your guest. Yeah. Uh, Perry, let me ask you this. Over the past few years, have you seen an increase or a decrease in the number of self-advocates coming forward, or has it just been the same? No, I have seen an increase, absolutely an increase. Oh, that is great. Yeah, because just as you said, if you don't speak up, how in the world can we get anywhere? You know, we have to to be uh, an advocate for ourselves. And there are so many other areas, uh, just as you mentioned, several of them. But um, I was just reading an article, you know, uh, Perry, about this continued move for uh, the ability to be approved legislatively to euthanize people with intellectual disabilities. And when I read about that, I always think, how can this be possible so you know there's so many there's so many areas transportation voting uh restraining seclusion at school employment of course my area but my point is if you don't speak up we can't make a difference that's right that's right and 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 it's us it's 
It's disabled people using our voices, certainly on our own issues uh, and our own care, but also on policy issues that are important to us, and then expanding beyond that into all policy issues in the disability rights movement. And there are so many ways to plug in, so many areas to express uh, uh, yours and, and ours, issues on social media and to be engaged and it's just so easy to find now. I mean there are there are hashtags uh uh that are created that really help people express uh themselves uh, in ways that you couldn't express and find community that you couldn't find community before and it's just exploding. It's it's exploding right now uh underneath us. And, and, and coming into the mainstream. And so it's just incredible. It's incredible. It is. Perry, one more time, the website. Yes. You can find us at disabilityrightspa.org. And uh, by tomorrow, we'll have uh, these organizations and some of the Twitter uh, uh, handles up on our website so nobody uh, needs to be alone. You can plug into the movement in so many ways, and we'll help you do that. Awesome. All right. Lead on, Perry. Hey, thanks, and and, uh, Sarah, best of luck to you. Thank you. Sarah, isn't that awesome? Um, You know, what Perry's doing, and we have have this every uh, half hour on every show, because, you know, we want people across the country to know what's going on in the disability community. And I mm-hmm. urge everyone to advertise this show because it's our way of getting the message out. And I just love Perry Jude Radisick and so appreciate how she does this work and calls in every week. She is just so awesome. Now, I want to tell you, Sarah, I have had... People come up to me and ask me, high school students, how do I get involved in disability rights? For example, right here in Pittsburgh, people will ask me, how do I get involved? What advice do you have? Um, I, I think the, the first thing is figure out um, who is in your community um, who is working on this. So um, whenever it comes to different uh, organizations like Disability Rights from Pennsylvania is one to certainly look at. Centers for Independent Living. Um, you can look up your local Center for Independent Living online, um, especially if you go to the, um, if you go to Nickel, you can look there. Um, that's just ncil.org. Um, you know, see, see what's out there for, for your uh, area and, um, you know, developmental disability councils, ADAPT chapters. There's, there's so many organizations that are doing work in the disability community. Um, and that's, that's a great way to start, to, to make connections to people, to figure out what work's being done. Um, that is, that's a great place. But also, whenever it comes to younger disability activists, um, there is a really strong movement online, especially on Twitter and Facebook, whenever it comes to online disability advocacy. These are people who may not be... Um, 
you know, may not be able to leave the house or like me, um, I can't leave the house too often. Um, but um, there's other people who just, they're, they're most suited to an online medium. Uh, so that's people who are blogging, people who are on social media. Um, there's some great hashtags going on out there. Uh, one of them that is my favorite is the Crip the Vote hashtag. Um, it is run by three disability advocates, uh, and it is about getting politically involved as a person with a disability. So they'll hold a variety of chats online about different policy issues or candidates. Uh, they'll certainly be mobilizing around the 2018 election, or I'm sorry, the 2020 election. We're beyond that one. Um, so, you know, that's a great one to check out. Um, the Disability Visibility Project, uh, which is run by Alice Wong, who is one of the creators of Crypt the Vote as well. Uh, she does a lot of podcasts on different disability activists and and the work that they're doing, um, you know, there, there's just so many the great opportunities uh, rooted in rights. Uh, they are Disability Rights Washington's uh, kind of media arm. They actually do the videos for the Hearn Award Gala, um, and so they, they do a lot of documentaries on different policy issues or, um, you know, videos and, and blogs. Uh, those are just great places to start um, online and, and figure out what, what your niche is. So, you know, mine, it took a while for me. Um, I, I love vlogging, but also found that, you know, the, the uh, political activism piece is what I care about. For some people, it's, uh, I mean, I care about many issues, and, and you know, everyone uh, has several issues, especially with the way the, the political scene has been going over the past few years with uh, mobilizing to uh, protect our rights on several fronts. Uh, but some people are particularly adept at talking about employment or accessible transportation or affordable housing or even straw bans, uh, assisted suicide. There's so many political issues. Everything is a disability policy issue. There, there is always an angle for our community um, to to figure out, you know, where our voice, um, you know, comes to play on those issues and and where we can make that heard. Yeah, agreed. Um, all right, before we close the show, we're going to go to our last break. If you've been listening, we've been talking to Sarah Blahovic, Disability Vote Organizer for the National Council on Independent Living, most important, a Paul Hearn Award winner. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at Voice America. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Sarah. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. 
Bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Bender services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high-test line of service. For more information, please visit www.benderconsult.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back everyone. We are talking to Sarah Blahovic, disability rights organizer for the National Council on Independent Living, NICL, known as NICL, and Paul Hearn Award winner this year selected, given the award at the AAPD Gala. And that that was absolutely Fabulous, wonderful. Ted Kennedy did a great job. The board members, Helena Berger, Jason, Maida, the whole staff, my hat's off to you for an absolutely great, wonderful uh, evening. It was fantastic. And by the way, keep your eyes out on BenderConsult.com. Go to the blog because you are going to be seeing a blog from Sarah. You know, this is Women's History Month. But what happens is people don't remember there are women with disabilities for Women's History Month who should also be highlighted. So keep your eye open because we'll be getting a blog from Sarah and putting it out there so you can read about her and continue to follow her more, which that's one question I want to ask you, Sarah, how do people follow you on social media? Um, so I am on Twitter at uh, S Blahov, S B as in boy, L A H O V as in Victor. Um, so that is where I do a lot of my, um, you know, tweeting out if I blog or um, you know any anything else. I do a lot of tweeting related to uh, anything that's going on at work. Uh, for the the nickel uh, webinars, um, you can follow Nickel Advocacy again N C I L Advocacy. That is the nickel Twitter page. So um, as we have more information going up about this and, and all of our other advocacy, that's a great place to follow. Um, we've had a great webinar series going on right now um, around the National Organizing Project and um, basically uh, talking about advocacy and negotiating run by one of my coworkers. Um, I believe there's actually one webinar today. I think it might be at 3 o'clock, uh, but that is a... Um, a great program going on. Uh, we have uh, information up there about our uh, our regular conference that goes on the last week of July every year. Um, and my coworker has confirmed it is at three o'clock. But um, we have our conference, which this year the theme is on igniting your political power. Um, so we're going to have a lot of great events going on there. Uh, members of Congress during our our walk to the hill. Our um, 
uh, our March to the Hill down Pennsylvania Avenue. We have a big celebration there for the ADA. Um, a lot of different uh, programming from our, our members, um, and it's just a, a really great event as well. So I would also encourage you to follow Nickel Advocacy and, and find out what Nickel is about. Yes, and I didn't get to mention this yet. Kelly Buckland. Oh, my God. What an awesome person. He is the CEO of Nickel, and I'm sure you enjoy working uh, with him, Sarah. Yeah, uh, Kelly is a wonderful boss. Um, he, he is just a great part of this organization, also very iconic with his, uh, his cowboy hat that he's always wearing. So um, it has been an honor to, to work with Nickel. It's such a great uh, organization that has an amazing history in this, uh, in this community, and I am proud of the work that we do. I, I am also. I am very proud of the work you do. And before I go on to ask uh, a final question, I, well, I actually have another question before we end. Um, a lot of people ask me, why the heck do they call this Crip the Vote? I thought that was a negative word. How do you explain yeah. that to people, Sarah? So Crip the Vote um, is, is uh, the idea around it is actually to reclaim um, a word that has been used negatively against us, the, the, the cripple slur. Um, so Crip the Vote is taking ownership of that word and pride in that word and kind of changing it around so um, that we're, we're using it instead in a proactive way, a positive way that it's used for us and not against us. Um, and it also, it really does work to uh, um, get the, uh, the community, you know, a little bit more attention because it's something that certainly makes uh, some people do a double take whenever, um, whenever you, you see that word for the first time uh, being used in that context. Um, you know, not everyone agrees with it. There are people who, of course, there's a, there's a lot of debate around uh, re- reclaiming language and reclaiming slurs, not just in this community, but in uh, many other marginalized communities. Um, so it's it's not something that's unanimous, but it is um, the the work that's being done in that hashtag um, to to build a movement of, po- of politically active people with disabilities who talk about voting, talk about policy issues. Um, it, it's such a great movement going on, uh, regardless of the language chosen. Well, you know, I I agree with you. I think it's just I think why it's hard for people to understand is because. People that are ableist have used that in a negative fashion. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and there's a, again, there's a lot of um, you know some people don't like using the word in a positive fashion because it has been used um, so negatively in the past, um, and that that goes again for for many other communities. Um, as well, whenever there are words that have been used as slurs against them, there's of one mind. There's people who want to avoid that word altogether because of its negative history, and then there's uh, the people who want to reclaim that language and use it as um, to, to rally around an empowerment and turning something from a negative to a positive. Um, and you know, there's there's nothing. Neither one is is necessarily the right way to do it. It's just. Um, a difference of opinion, and um, you know that's that's something that there's never going to be universal, um, you know, seeing it one way or or, or the other, um, and that's just something that we we kind of will deal with. 
Right. Well, hey, that's why you have diversity of thoughts, right? Yeah, yeah. So, Sarah, someone like you, you're so passionate, you're so bright, and you're doing so much. So I have to ask you, and I mean present or past or historically, who is your role model? Um. I would say I have uh, so many, too many to mention, um, but uh, I, I've been trying right now to, to look towards um, role models of, of, of people of color with disabilities, women of color with disabilities. I would say the biggest one is Fannie Lou Hamer. Um, she is a voting rights activist or was a voting rights activist in the civil rights movement. Um, she uh, was a black woman who was forcibly sterilized. Uh, and part of her political activism around that is is because of uh, these sterilizations, which unfortunately, um, sterilization, mass sterilization of women with disability, uh, of women of color uh, went into the 1970s, uh, and it's something that we, we don't really talk about as a country, um, but that is something that is such a treacherous part of our past, and it's something that she used to really, um, you know, motivate her to register people to vote and, and to fight for civil rights. Um, so I would say she is really um, one I look up to. Um, I would say the same. I have my, my picture of Harriet Tubman um, sitting to the side. You know, she had a, um, a seizure disorder that caused her to fall asleep during um, uncontrollably during some of her, her rescues. And that actually... Um, that that is what she contributed a lot of her visions that she would have to, uh, to as well. So, you know, I, I feel like really the central um, people who have been moving disability rights forward, past, present, and probably future as well, are, are diverse people with disabilities, um, especially, I would say, d- disabled women of color are doing such amazing work um, and, and looking to them on how I can be a good ally and co-conspirator to their work. Um, and, and, you know, remember that for me, leading does not always mean being the person who's in charge, but sometimes sitting back and playing a supporting role um, to the leaders in this community. And that's how I kind of see my role as well um, with these run-for-office programs. It's empowering other people to, um, to find their leadership and to take it to the next level because, you know, one person alone is, is, can be very powerful, but whenever we have millions of us who are empowered, um, that can really change the world. That is so true. Sarah, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, and remember, thank you. follow Sarah on Nickel, on her Twitter, and don't forget to look for her blog at BenderConsult.com, and you can hear this radio show on Spotify or Apple. Here we go. We've got to end the show with a quote, and today it is only jars should be labeled. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.